Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, August 29th, 2021. Today we're finishing the seven points of our Mature Manhood series that has been based in Deuteronomy 33, verses 8 through 10. We are confident. We are absolutely sure that God is giving us clarity of what we need to focus on in the upcoming services, but we know for sure and are confident that God has given us the right word for today. Amen. For today, we want to remind you that it was just two short weeks ago that we walked through the process in the making of a priest. Everybody say, making of a priest. Making of a priest. It was last Sunday that we were uh, cut to the heart in the mark of a priest, and today we will give you clear communication on the mission of a priest. That's the title of today's sermon. Everybody say it with me. The mission of a priest. Okay, so as you turn to Ephesians 4, say, mission of a priest. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 and start in verse 11. As he gave the apostles, this is in ESV, by the way. As he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministries, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to what saints sure manhood to mature manhood, mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When your pastors were reading this scripture in preparation for this message, we felt honored. We are so honored to be your shepherds, to be your pastors. And it is evident that the relationship between the fivefold and the body is paramount to fulfilling the will of God and what he has said. We see it as a joy, Pastor, <clears throat> Pastor Wade, to have them as our mission. Amen. To serve you guys, our family. Do y'all see each other as family? Yeah. Amen. Equipping you for the work of ministry. But let me just ask a question. Let's unpack this just a little bit. And it's going to set the course of what we're studying today. How does equipping happen? Do you just sit and soak in your chairs? It's kind of like Amazon. You just order it and it shows up at your doorstep. It is a drone delivery of revelation. That Lincoln, yes, Lincoln testifies to that. Is it only just sitting and reading some book about the things of God? No. It is more fundamentally through the exchange between two parties. And what I mean is clear communication along with clear demonstration. Here's our goal. Our goal is to build up every member of this church. And again, I ask you, how does building up happen? Through the communication between the members and leaders of this church body in such a way that we live and it corresponds with what we preach. Our aim is for us all to attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of our King. Unity is established through the communication of God's standard. It's what we unify around. Knowledge of our king must be transmitted through his truth so that we reach the point of mature manhood 
together. Aren't you benefited whenever those around you are maturing into the manhood of priesthood? The reciprocal nature, that's true too. So do you want to reach the full measure of the stature of Christ, church? Do you want to act just as much of a man as he is? Then this morning you will need to pay careful attention to what we are clearly communicating. Come on, let's start to pay careful attention as we turn to 1 Corinthians 16. As you're turning to 1 Corinthians 16, somebody say the mission of a priest. We're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. We're going to read it to you in the ESV. It says this, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Yeah. Act like men. Like men. Be strong. Church, this verse encapsulates what LCM and what the kingdom of God is all about. Raising up men who have deep convictions, who are able to be watchful, to pay careful attention. Men who are able to have faith-filled masculine holiness that is at work constantly. Men who can be said to have a backbone like a telephone pole. I mean somebody who is serious and can take a stand like a man. Man, it was many, many years ago when I first heard this phrase, a backbone like a telephone pole. I was on a mission trip to Jamaica. Jamaica. Now, now we weren't at the resorts. We, <laughs> we, we weren't at the resorts. We were back where the real people lived, and we were working on, a, on behalf of the Lord. See, I was sitting with a real man of God. He was a pastor who had given his entire life to serving the Lord. As a matter of fact, at the age of nine, everybody say nine. Nine. At the age of nine, his teachers told him not to come back to school anymore because he was too stupid to learn. They sent him home, and that was the end of his formal education in Jamaica. He went home because he was too stupid. Now, what I know about this man is I was sitting across his kitchen table from him, And he could quote more scripture than any man that I've ever been around. He would quote chapter after chapter. We would sit there and he would begin to quote and I would turn to the passage and he was verbatim exactly what the word of God had said. And as we are sitting there, he leans back in his chair, puts his hands together like this. And he said, brother Wade, of a fact, a real man of God must have the backbone like a telephone pole. As I'm sitting there as a young 20-something-year-old man, I'm realizing that this did not come from some tribal knowledge. It definitely didn't come from social media. It didn't come from a man who had smooth knees. This was a man who understood that what he was saying was of a fact. He wanted me to understand the reality of the kingdom because his eyes locked in on mine. And he clearly transmitted that to me in that day. He clearly communicated it to me. He was one of the first men that I had ever met that truly acted like a man in the kingdom of God because his life was a full expression of what his words were. You know that reality, that integrity, that what somebody's saying they've actually lived out in their own lives. Talk about a clear communication. This was a man who had a backbone like a telephone pole. Everybody say backbone. backbone. Like a telephone pole. Isn't it assuring and comforting when you meet someone that has a spine, that has a backbone? You can rely and trust that they will communicate what is true. So that brings us back to the imagery of a telephone pole. Now, 
I know many of you have had various types of experiences with telephone poles. Right, those large structures deeply embedded in the earth that carry the lines of communication from now internationally. Well, if you're as old as I am, as much gray in your beard as I have in mine, this was the main line of communication during the days of landlines. Yeah, I can see some of the expressions on your face. What's that? Yeah, exactly. So in the event that a tree branch would fall onto a telephone pole wire, all communication was lost. Everyone under the age of 30 just gasp. <gasps> what? I mean, at that point, when the tree branch would fall on a telephone line and crush a telephone pole, there was no more calling in to the radio station that night <laughs> to declare to some true love that I like you a lot. There was no opportunity to call the movie theater in order to find out what the times were for each feature. That's how you found out other than driving up to the actual theater. And Lord forbid, there was no ability to talk to that girl or guy that you were interested in. I mean, that you were going with, that you were staying with. That girl that you would also have your other friend on the line because now you had three-way calling that was available. All on the landline. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that's, that's just old-school communication. It's not like that anymore. Much different things occur. Well, some of you may have an even more intimate familiarity with an actual telephone pole. One that involves a vehicle. And your very, very, very poor driving ability. You can testify personally, hands-on, face-first, that these structures can take an incredible amount of force. Wrap your mind around it. Like hurricane-type force. And yet, after that occurrence, that telephone pole is able to still stand upright, holding its ground under tension and pressure. This is so, so much like being a priest of the living God. Real priests have a backbone like a telephone pole. A real priest is the one that is firmly embedded in the immovable standards of God's word. And they are able to carry the transmission of his truth. Look, the very principle of having a spine is that you are firmly planted in God's word upholding his righteous laws so that you can transmit his divine truth. Not swayed by every wind of teaching or circumstance. Not going to and fro in the wind like a reed, but instead holding your ground like an oak of righteousness. In this house, we are raising up priests that have a backbone like a telephone pole. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 33 all together. As you're turning, say the mission of a priest. The mission of a priest. Verse 8. About Levi, he said, your Thumim and Urim belong to your faithful servant. You tested him at Masa. 
You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children. In our message, the making of a priest, the focus was on your confidence that you can receive and give divine discernment. Do you remember that? It was also about your ability to be tested through tension and how you can show judgment without partiality. That message was rightly focused on how the Lord wanted to empower you with confidence as a priest. The verse goes on to say in Deuteronomy 33, 9, but he watched over your word and he guarded your covenant. In our message, the mark of a priest, the focus was on him watching over his word that requires that our hearts are completely circumcised first by his word. And then the sharp double-edged sword of his word can be utilized to circumcise others. And everybody say, and we learn that to guard his covenant, his promises, his will was what deeply marked every priest in the kingdom of God. See, that message was rightly focused on how important the work of his word and his will are in each of our lives. Now let's look at verse 10. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Well, in this verse, it brings us to our sixth out of seven points we're covering in Mature Manhood series. Let's put up the slide. The mission of a priest is that he teaches his precepts and laws. So let, let's, let's just connect all this together. In the making of a priest, we looked at what God was doing in you. In the mark of a priest, the focus was towards his word and his covenant promises that are now a great weight of responsibility. Now as seen in Deuteronomy 33.10, God's intent was that you, what you received from him was then to be outwardly focused towards others. Did you catch that? The mission of a priest is to teach. The mission, in other words, is to transmit God's word to others so that they can experience transformation. Now, you know my background was in teaching, and I can't tell you how many times that I heard the phrase, those who can't do, teach. Guilty. That was always said to us, and it was an offensive statement, but what was more offensive was the fact that it was oftentimes true of the people that I worked with. There were only a few men that were even there in environments like this, and they ended up being more like children. I mean, they wanted to do the least amount of work possible to get out to the fields and the courts. Uh, they were more interested in coaching children's games yes. or enjoying the ability to feel like they had a backbone, a spine, because they exerted power and authority on the most uh, elementary of levels. Elementary. In my experience in teaching, they were only a few real men. Men who were full of conviction, interested in transmitting God's truth that actually transforms an individual. Those men were real teachers. They were real teachers because they had backbone to both do and to transmit what they were able yes. to do. See, we're going to look at this further, this idea of teaching his precepts and laws. We're going to find out the original Hebrew word. But before we do, we thought that the LXX, the Greek translation of the Older Testament, would give us additional insight even before we looked at the Hebrew word. Take a look at this next slide. Deuteronomy 33.10. It says, they. Everybody say, they. They. See, it's more than just the man Levi. We're talking to the entire group. They shall manifest your ordinances. Wow. 
in place of the word teach here in the, in the Greek Septuagint, it says, they shall manifest. Everybody say manifest. Manifest. Man, that is so different than the, what we think of in the word teach. The concept of manifest is so much closer to what our mission is as a priest. The word teach in English brings about the idea of you standing in front of a classroom filled with subordinates who are forced to be there. It's the idea of you speaking to them or at least speaking at them, whether they're listening or not. That is what we indicate as teaching today. But when you think about manifest, it's something that means to put it on display, to show by your own action, to show by your own appearance so that others can become what you are. Wow. Teaching is only as good as you making someone into what you are. This should immediately bring to mind passages like Luke 640. Let's say every student who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Let me state it plainly for us today. The mission of a priest is to teach God's precepts and laws so that others can become what God is and what you are. See, we all like the first part of that. Yes, we should all be what God is. But this process of priesthood indicates that others must become what you are. This is real discipleship. This is what real maturity looks like. Church, whether you're single or married in this room, whether you're male or female, this is the mission of everyone in the body of Christ. To grow into maturity that is able to teach all the way until the point of transformation in someone else. The point is that people around you are becoming not just what God is, but what you are. Come on, think about that in your families. Husbands, wives, think about that. Husbands, then it's your responsibility to make your wife into what you are. Because you are becoming exactly what God is. Wives and husbands, your job is to make your children into what you are. And as we are all becoming like God, it is done through becoming what the men around us are teaching us, what they're manifesting before us. In this church, the truth is, is we all love teaching, don't we? I mean, we're here. You guys are involved in five nights a week of some type of teaching. And as your pastors, we want to make sure that you have the right motives for loving teaching. That your motivation is that you are being personally transformed by the word. And that your mission becomes to transmit God's word that transforms others. After all, this is life-changing ministry. Somebody say amen. Amen. Remember how we said earlier that we're all comforted and assured when we meet someone that has a backbone. Right? Well, let's connect that with what Pastor Wade just said. The goal is that we all grow to be that person. We all grow to be a group and a family where every single one of us have a backbone like a telephone pole. Amen. So let's look at two men who were able to transmit God's truth unto transformation in 1 Samuel 23. Say the mission of a priest as you're turning there. The mission of a priest. 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. That's a good brother, isn't it? Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. Look, both David... And Jonathan 
were men. I mean, real men. Real men who understood the importance of transmitting God's word unto transformation. Both of these men took the word of God seriously and were committed to transmitting it to other mighty fighting men that became what they were. This passage has been wrongly understood by so many, though, including us for a long time. Verse 17 relates how Jonathan is bringing godly strength to David. And he's doing that by reminding David of the word of the Lord that came to him about his position as the king of Israel. Most then read, I will be second to you as a declaration of uh, Jonathan saying, no, I'm claiming for myself and lobbying for a VP position in David's upcoming administration and kingship. We read a selfish ambition or motivation into this phrase that's coming from Jonathan. The truth is, the truth that is worth transmitting here is that the word for second in this passage is really defined as being a copy, being an exact repetition, being a double of what David is, not second, being an exact representation and repetition of who he is. Much like Acts 26, 29, I'll read it to you. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. What is the goal of the gospel? Is that we become exactly who God is, but it, it includes the men that are helping us get to that point. We admire, we love David's mighty fighting men, but how did he do it? He started with a backbone like a telephone pole, transmitting God's truth, the deep convictions that he had that led to the transformation of everyone else he came in contact with. Jonathan is not declaring his desire for a position of power, but rather that he wants to be transformed into exactly what David is. David and Jonathan were so committed to this mission that they made a covenant with each other to serve as a model of the transmission of transformation. Come on, it is such a real and foundational principle in the kingdom that God is assigning this as the mission of the priest. Not to just teach, not to just get up and speak in front of people, but to actually have transformation in you and make those around you into what you are. Do you see why it takes the backbone of a telephone pole to be able to do this? Because even that thought is off-putting to most. Even that thought of they must become what you are is a little bit scary. The truth is, is it's a lot scary. But that's why it requires, requires us to rise up as priests to actually become mature men. Because this is the mission that God has set forth. I mean, what pastor's saying to us is so important as we continue to build on this mission of a priest. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 33.10 so that we can continue to understand what the Lord is saying to those of us who are here in this room. Deuteronomy 33.10 in the ESV says it this way. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your offer, altar. The priesthood, 
through mature men who are on a mission are to teach God's people. They are to manifest God's very will and his very word and his very transformation. See, we want you to see what the word for teach is in the Hebrew. It is the Hebrew word yorah. We've got it on a slide for you. Yorah means to throw. Pastor, I thought you said it was to teach. Yes. It's to throw. It's to cast. It's to shoot. It is to teach. See, as we're looking at this on your screen, many of us may be familiar with the word and its association with the word teach. What we want to focus on this morning are the additional meanings that relate closer to the actual transmission of God's truth, more so than just gaining information or increasing your intellect. Yeah. Notice, this is from the theological word book of the Old Testament. That the three most frequent uses of this root deal with what you see in the last sentence that we have on there. With shooting arrows, with sending rain, or with teaching. Now see, in our Western minds, we look at those three things and we think they're very divergent. That they have nothing to do with each other. Sure. That they're unrelated. Yeah. But in the Hebrew mind, these concepts are all interconnected. When you yarah, you teach, you are pointing out. You're casting forth more than just knowledge. You are transmitting truth like an arrow flying into a bullseye. You are shooting for the transformation of the person that you are speaking to. My God, doesn't that already change your understanding of so many things yes. in the word? This is not about a mere transfer of information. Look, I'm a good teacher. I told you information. In the Hebrew mind, or when you, you're raw, you are aiming like, a, like an archer is shooting an arrow into a bullseye. Yes. You are aiming to pierce the heart of the receiver, to bring about change in their lives. Man, if we just thought on that for just a few moments, if we meditated and made our lives about that, how would your parenting look? How would your husbanding look? How would your life look if we did that? See, not only is Yorah about shooting arrows, but it's also about sending rain. Mm. Shooting arrows and sending rain are attached to this word. Think about it. No matter how much labor a farmer is faithful to perform, it is the life-giving rain that must fall to produce actual change in the ground and the crops. Yes. A farmer who should be the first to receive in the shares what 2 Timothy says. This farmer who is faithful, never gets a day off, constantly working the soil, constantly working, constantly planting and cultivating, still must have the rain from heaven fall upon it. This is what real teaching, this is what Yarah is all about. When a mature man, a priest, is truly transmitting God's word, it's like rain that begins to fall on someone's heart and it produces actual transformation. There is a supernatural component that must be there or you're just speaking information. When the Hebrew speaker uses the word yarah, they are conveying the imagery of piercing the heart of a bullseye, not only of the person you're speaking to, but also of what opposes God and brings about the life-giving rain of transformation. Teaching is so much more than just speaking. It's about transmitting God's word to bring about transformation. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Isn't that water to your soul? It should be piercing your heart too. But it clarifies. It gives clear communication of what God is after whenever you're operating as a priest on the mission of teaching his precepts and laws. So 
We want to read a scripture to you. Just have, have your heads up towards me. We're going to put it on the screen. I want to walk you through something real quick, and I'm going to need to know what your thoughts are. Like, I may even approach you with the microphone, or maybe not. We will yet see. So, are you, is everybody paying attention? We're going to put Psalm 45, verse 4 on the screen, and I'm going to walk through this. It says, in your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Well, it might be difficult, or it might not be, to pick out which word in this passage here is the Hebrew word yara, yara, that we just looked at. So, get, give me some feedback. What word in this passage do you think is yara? Ride forth, achieve, what else? What is that? Cause of truth. Okay. Whoever said achieve is right. Achieve is the word yara. Psalm 45 verse 4 in the ESV now. In your majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. So here's the question that we got to ask. How will the right hand teach awesome deeds for David or the Messiah or whomever you may read this passage to be speaking about? The right hand teaches by achieving. The right hand teaches by doing, pointing out, accomplishing God's works, which includes transformation. Look, this psalm. It's written by the sons of Korah. These men are Levites, and they are on a mission to transmit the truth of God's word that leads to transformation. They're not just writing a really clever or in-depthly intellectual poem. They're writing the truth of God that is still transforming our hearts even to this day. What these men were meditating on was more than just verbal classroom instruction. They were focusing on the victorious nature and power of God's right hand as he is shooting arrows that achieved awesome deeds for his people and sending life-giving rain that actually changed the land. Look, do, do a study on the sons of Korah on your own time and see what these uh, men who were the progenitory of Levi offered for the entire land of Israel. It shaped and changed everything about them. See, this is beautiful to understand that God's right hand is the teacher. It's not speaking, but he's showing through the achievement and the actual accomplishment of his will what his word is all about. See, what the Lord achieves in us and through us, it's through his laws, it's through his ways, and it's what we are supposed to teach or transmit to others. Let's continue reading in verse 5 to show the continuation of what real teaching, achieving, what the word yarah actually accomplishes. In Psalm 45, verse 5, it says this, Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. 
See, it's no mistake when you understand what the word Yarah means that verse 5 begins with your arrows are sharp. The Levites are focused on their mission to Yarah throughout this passage, to shoot arrows, to send rain, to teach God's people what their hearts are supposed to be about and what they must be transformed into. What were these arrows supposed to accomplish? What were the awesome deeds that we're talking about? What were the achievements that were to be wrought? It is the transformation of the entire world into what the kingdom of God is, where enemies are annihilated, where there is the establishment of a righteous throne ruled by the one who holds the scepter of authority, a kingdom defined by mature men with backbones like telephone poles who love righteousness and hate wickedness, where the same ministers with a mission and on a mission are filled with the oil of joy and gladness beyond everyone else around them. This is the kingdom. This is what the transformation is about. This is the kind of kingdom that God is building in us. It's what he's building into you and to me in this house. We are to be priests with a mission to transmit his truth unto transformation. And it always starts with us. Consider 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. It says this, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men. Somebody say reliable. Reliable. Who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, when you have the Hebrew understanding of the concept behind teach, this means so much more. Reliable men who can be entrusted to demonstrate through the own transformation that they can transmit it to others and others are transformed. Church, are you a priest on a mission that transmits God's truth, that has first brought transformation to you and then is able to bring transformation to others? I know that that is what we're working on. But perhaps today there are areas where you've been unchanged, where you've been unreliable, areas that you don't possess the backbone like a telephone pole. You've been swaying. You might even even been toppling. I think that our words of prophecy this morning were addressing the very thoughts and attitudes that are showing that we must rise up and develop this mature manhood, develop this backbone like a telephone pole so that we can transmit what God has done in us and transmit it to others. Man, aren't you glad that we have a solution? Aren't you glad that the word of God is filled with solutions? In Ephesians 4, which has been a foundational passage in the scripture, the solution, the solution to help us is to see the fivefold ministry as a gift. In those areas where you are swaying and toppling and you have anything but the backbone like a telephone pole, it is the fivefold ministers that God gives you as a gift to prepare you to transmit transformation in you that has been experienced in us so that we can all be joined in unity like interconnected telephone poles. Oh, yeah. How good is a single telephone pole? It's a stick. (laughs) It's just a stick that's stuck in the ground. But what happens with real transmission? You need more than one. And they must be interconnected, each doing their own job. See, your mission as a priest is to transmit God's truth. And it requires that there are more around you that have become just what you are so that transmission can occur. You've got to be able to transmit God's truth so that the body of Christ can reach the fullness of Christ. But how do we reach the fullness of Christ? How do we become what he is? It requires the transformation of the heavens to be transmitted to you. 
Uh, is that good? Yeah. Look, it's blessing me to hear this being preached about us all together, our interconnected relationships. I think of the, the leadership that we have in this church and the interconnected nature of our relationships, meaning that we have elders that have backbones like telephone poles. Yeah, pastors that have backbones like telephone poles. And we all communicate the same truth. You go to one and you ask this question, you get an answer, you go to another, you know what you're going to get? The same answer. And that just goes all the way around. But we are building a church that are full of men and women with backbones like telephone poles. That whoever you ask other than the leadership in our body, you should be getting the same answer that resides in the leadership. That's why we are here to prepare you for God's works of service. So as you turn to Ephesians 4, say the mission of a priest. The mission of a priest. We're going to read this again in the ESV. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. Say amen to that. Amen. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The teachings from your pastors and leaders are aimed at your transformation. That is our mission as priest. The result is that you are no longer immature. You're no longer tossed around by every hint of bad news. Amen. You're not toppled by a change in your circumstance. You're not constantly pursuing an alternative perspective. Instead, you are trusting the men who are rooted and established in God's truth because it is immovable. Come on. And we all do it with joy. Amen. A big old smile. Instead of being immature and tossed to and fro, you grow a backbone. A backbone like a telephone pole. You become immovable on your deep convictions. And you do it with a big old smile. I mean, come on. How many times has your pastors and elders sat with you one-on-one -on -one and said, hold your head up high, stand your ground, have joy overcome you because God is on your side? That's a result of you first being on his side. We're reminding you of the truths that he's already spoken to you and telling you don't move from your position. God gave it to you, and he's going to come through with it. Come on. You, church, are able to transmit God's truth unto transformation that has also occurred in you. You are able to speak words that shoot the piercing arrow of conviction into someone's soul while sending rain that brings life to the seed of God's truth deeply planted in their heart. When we are all functioning rightly as priests on a mission, we are able to rightly transmit God's truth because our backbone of deep convictions has distinguished between the holy and the common. The mission of a priest is clearly stated in Ezekiel 44, focusing on the aim of Yarah or to teach. Let me read this to you. 
Ezekiel 44, 23 says this. They are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. And show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. This passage is speaking to a group of men that are priests. It is the mission of God that has always been for priests and is what priests will do in his kingdom. Come on, these priests are to Yorah, my people, the difference between the holy and the common. To show the transformation that has been there. As pastor was going through Ephesians 4, does anybody, can anybody relate to that? That there are still areas in your life where you feel like a child, you're being tossed to and fro? Where your emotions, you're full of faith one moment and then some small things happened and you begin to shake and quake. See, God is bringing maturity to this house. He's bringing it because you are getting transformed through the word of God. You have men around you. You have leaders around you who are being transformed and are transmitting it to you. Come on now. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 33.10 together so that we can pick up on our seventh and final point of our entire series. Deuteronomy 33.10, it says this, they shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your laws. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Take a look at this next slide. It shows you our seventh point. It is that a real priest, a real man of God is to offer right sacrifices. Say that with me, offer right sacrifices. See, looking at this list, you can see that the priest, above all else, was responsible for completing the mission. It's one thing to start a mission, but you got to go ahead and get all the way and complete the Amen. mission. Book of Kings tells you it's, about, it's one thing for a king to put on his armor. It's an entirely different thing for him to take off his armor because he has completed the battle that was before him. See, to transmit God's truth is our mission. To transmit it all the way until transformation and, somebody say and. and. It is to lead God's people to solidify the standard of right sacrifices. This mission is wrapping up in this concept that the priest must solidify the standard of right sacrifices. That's right. As we look at our last of the seven points in our series, we wanted to know rightly why offers right sacrifices was the last in the list. As a priest, don't you think it could have been for me when I was looking at it, why was it here as number seven, as the culmination? It has to be last for a reason. Yes. It has to be last. I'm trying to give it a minute to settle in here because I know that God is going to cause some light bulbs to go off in your own life here in the next few minutes. I know it because this is what the words of prophecy have already spoken to us this morning. See, we're going to define this reason very clearly. But first, we'd like for you to consider a perfect model of a priest and the way he completed his priestly mission, ending with offering right sacrifices. So the perfect model. I mean, the priest among all priests is Yeshua himself, right? Yes. So I want you to consider this as we leave the slide up, up. I mean, up on the screen for us. Consider Jesus. Did he receive and give divine discernment? Yes. Yes. John five nineteen and verse 30 as well says that he judges only by what he hears. Well, the second one, tested through tension. Was Jesus tested through tension? Constantly. John 6, 
60 through 71. This is where he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. This is a hard teaching, they replied. Many disciples left him. But he had a backbone like a telephone pole. He was immovable. Number three, judge without partiality. Jesus absolutely did this. Mark 3, 31 through 35, he says, who are my mother, my brother, my, my sisters and brothers, our father? Number four, he watched over his word. John 17, 17, where he declares that he will sanctify by the truth and your word is truth. He watched over it. Number five, Jesus guarded his father's covenant. In Matthew 26, 36 through 45, the garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Number six, teaches his precepts and laws. Luke 24, 45, this is when Jesus is appearing to the disciples and he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Man, isn't that fantastic when he does that for us? And number seven, offers right sacrifices. Let's all turn to John 10, and we'll pick up with verse 17. As you're turning, say the mission of a priest. John 10, 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So Jesus demonstrated backbone like a telephone pole, one that he, even death couldn't topple over. This is the depth you must go to be who he is. Do you get that? You must have the same kind of backbone as he did. He is the model for us all. And we are called to be a priest of his heavenly order forever. There is no other standard. There is no other alternative to his priesthood and the mission of a priest we have received from him. So it's imperative that we see him as the model, but also see that you have the ability to become who he is. You have the ability to become who we are, that we plant ourselves deeply in the standard of God's word so that we can have right sacrifice before of God, not self-determined, God-determined. Come on, to have the right kind of God-determined sacrifice means everything. See, when you have the right sacrifice, it acts as a fragrant offering. Some of you may even be thinking about Ephesians 5, where it talks about Christ's offering was a fragrant incense, a fragrant offering that perfectly fulfills everything that we're talking about here in Deuteronomy 33. See, Jesus solidified the standard of right sacrifice. So what does this look like for you and me? Sometimes it's easy for us to give that Jesus can do it, but he's transforming us into what he is, so we must do it as well. Yes. Let's turn to Philippians 2. Everyone in the room, turn to Philippians 2, and we're going to see how we are to interact with this. As you're turning, say the mission of a priest. Of a priest. Philippians 2, and we're going to start in verse 5. It's worth your time to get there. 
and to read it in your own sword, the sword that is right there in your lap. Ephesians 2.5, on the screen in the 2011, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If you have a 1984 NIV, you might know it better that says that your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus. If you have an ESV, it says, let this mind be among yourselves. <laughs> if you have a complete Jewish Bible, it says, let your attitude toward, another, toward one another be governed by your being in union with the Messiah, Yeshua. That's a lot. The point is, is that we're learning that amongst each other, that amongst men and women who are developing the backbone like telephone, telephone poles, that you are able to have the same mindset, the same mission that Jesus had. There is an actual standard for right sacrifice, church. This is not something that you get to determine in and of yourself. The right standard must be solidified in you. When we have the mindset of Christ, we can ensure that our sacrifice is not in vain. I mean, if you just plugged in the, the phrase in vain in your Bible, it's talking about that your sacrifice not be in vain, that your labor not be in vain, that you not run in vain. See, what is going on in here is that we are learning to how to have a sacrifice that has substance. A God-ordained and a God-defined sacrifice is one that has substance. Let's continue on in this passage to verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped, something to be held onto. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but you realize that Jesus could have offered himself at any time, but he didn't. He offered himself, he offered his life at the appointed time. Yeah. Not just any time. Not a self-defined time, but at God's determined time is when he became obedient to death. He was obedient the whole time, but he was working and had solidified God's standard of sacrifice. And he knew the moment that it must happen. His sacrifice had the ultimate substance to it. We are still benefiting. The entirety of creation has benefited from the substance of his sacrifice. This was because Jesus did not self-define sacrifice. He had solidified the standard of right sacrifice. Church, if we're to have the same mindset that Jesus did, we're going to have to address self-defined sacrifice here. Please do. Let me give you a phrase that will help us in this room to understand what self-defined sacrifice is. This is not random. This is not from us reading something on the Google. This is us praying and God showing us that this is occurring in our house. Y'all ready for this? Many of you in this room practice falling on the sword. You practice falling on the sword. Now we often talk to this group and we, we go after things like selfish ambition. We go after things like just blatant rebellion. We're going to go after it and we're going to continue to do that because we have backbones like telephone poles. 
But I want you to understand that falling on the sword is something that God has highlighted to us, and he helped us to confirm it through the words this morning. Yeah. Let me help define it for you in case you don't understand the phrase. It's accepting full, total, ultimate responsibility or blame for a problem. Some of you hadn't caught it yet. It's okay. We're going to help you catch this. You're thinking, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't you supposed to take full, ultimate responsibility for any problem? Let me help you by defining it for you, and then we're going to give you a solution. Men, when you handle the results of a lack of leadership, a lack of discipline, a lack of discernment, by just deciding that you're going to sacrifice more or work harder, shoving others out of the way, so that you can solve the problem that you have now created. You merely work within yourself rather than going to a brother, rather than going to an elder, rather than going to a man of God to ask them to help you overcome the problem that you've just created. You fall on the sword. You're severing yourself from real growth and you're hiding it through your own pride. You want to end the problem, but you've covered it with false humility. I just don't want to be a burden to my brother. I just don't want to bother somebody else. I mean, I mean, Trista, I really could use your help, but, you know, Trista's kind of busy, so I just don't want to bother him. That's falling on the sword. And that is not the solution that God has for you. That is not the right sacrifice. You have self-determined that you are going to do that because you like the sound of it. I'm just going to go sit down right there and let pastor continue to preach to me the rest of the service. <laughs> Guys, is he preaching to you about you? Look, this is about us, but we know that it's true about you because it's also happening inside of us. The solution is not to fall on the sword, man. Not to fall on the sword of your own self-determined sacrifice. You have to let the sword of God's word solidify the standard of what a right sacrifice, in fact, is. The solution is to go back to the standard of the word and to learn how to offer the right sacrifice, not the one that feels right to you. Amen. So we rightly addressed the guys in this room. And you should be thinking about this. Ladies, are you still with us this morning? I want to speak something to you. You do this, you fall on the sword when you receive a correction and you make it only about your failure and you are sure that you are disqualified at that point. And it looks like this. Well, fine then. I just won't say anything then. I won't open my mouth. I won't contribute. If I just get everything wrong over and over again, I'm just going to make my world small and stick with the things that I'm good at and that I know I won't be corrected over. I'll just cook, I'll clean, I'll please my husband because that's all I'm good for. That is falling right on the sword and not having the solidification of God's standard for sacrifice. You have fallen on the sword in that moment. You've ended the conversation but only as a peacekeeper and not as a peacemaker. You have not resolved the real issue, the real root issue. 
This self-defined sacrifice does nothing to correct the real root issue. And does nothing to produce the righteous fruit that you, your husband, this church, and Jesus can be proud of. Ladies, would you like a solution? I mean, it's the best, most radiant facial cream that the world has to offer. The solution is not to fall on the sword of your self-defined sacrifice, but to let the sword of God's word solidify the standard of right sacrifice. Let his word through your husband, let his word through these leaders begin to give you that standard of what God requires. Then you can stand confidently that you have rightly sacrificed what he asked for and you are qualified and pleasing without blemish in his sight. Is this starting to sink in? Do you realize how many times you're defining your own sacrifice and counting it as something noble? Husbands, let me talk to you for a second. Pastor, you already did with the men. Yeah, I'm coming after you husbands, though. We do this when we address our lack as a leader by taking all the responsibility without rightly addressing our wife or our family's sinful state. Pastor, I know that I lack in this area and I want to take full responsibility. I want to take full responsibility. I want to take full responsibility. See, but you're not actually doing that. You've actually just fallen on the sword. You've ended the conversation because you're trying to end the conflict. You're trying to end what it feels like to be a failure when you see the failure in your own home. You're trying to stay away from that. So you're like, I'll just take it all. And you feel noble about it. I mean, I'm being a real man of God here. I feel good about this because who doesn't want to take responsibility for their family's failures? Aren't I being what God wants? I am being noble. No, you are not. You feel noble because you've self-defined the sacrifice. In reality, you're ready for this? Gets real quiet because I, I know what I'm saying. In reality, this is an act of cowardice because you've taken the easiest, shortest path towards escaping that feeling of failure. But you've left no chance for your spouse to actually grow. You've left no chance for your family to actually grow because you have fallen on the sword. Your family will grow through repentance. Your family will grow through right accountability and calling them up to have the same standard that you're supposed to be living by. Real leadership is done hour by hour, day by day, conversation by conversation, led by mature men who have solidified the standard of right sacrifice. Everybody say right sacrifice. Right sacrifice. This takes a man who has the backbone like a telephone pole. The solution is not to fall on your sword, husbands. The sword of your own self-defined sacrifice. It's to let the sword of God's word rightly solidify the standard for right sacrifice. There's a need for us to understand what God is saying. That we call those up, we call those around us up to a higher standard, even when you can see your own flaws. My God, because you're counting on the transformation power and for him to tell you what the right sacrifice is. 
Let me just read this to you out of 1 Samuel 15. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than your self-determined sacrifice. Come on. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Do you know how I can bring this to you? Because God spoke this to me. He said, you are considering sacrifice, your self-determined sacrifice, as being better than being obedient to what I've actually said. See, the solution is right here in 1 Samuel 15. It's that we have to offer right sacrifices. Everybody say right sacrifices. Right sacrifices. Sacrifices that are solidly planted in the standard of God's word and what his spirit is actually wanting you to do in the moment. Obedience to God's standard of sacrifice is far superior. I mean, far superior than every self-directed, self-determined, self-defined sacrifice that we could ever offer to God. God is not interested in our self-defined sacrifices. Not even a little bit. No matter how noble we may feel to offer it unto him. God wants us to offer right sacrifices that he has defined so that our sacrifices can ha have the same substance that Jesus Christ had. This is the solution, church. The right sacrifices are the solution for your life, and it's also the mission that God has put you on as a priest. Yeah. Come on, let's continue in Philippians 2. You guys still there in, in Philippians 2? Yeah. Now, we're going to start lifting our souls up with confidence. We're rapidly nearing a close. When looking at Jesus, the perfect model, as a priest that has a mission to offer right sacrifices, when we pick up in verse 9, we're going to see what the conclusion and result of offering right sacrifices is. Philippians 2.9, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at that day, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's put this all together. In our relationships with one another having divine discernment, tested through tension, judging without partiality, watching over his word, guarding his covenant, and teaching his precepts and laws is an incomplete mission if we do not offer the right sacrifices to God. If we determine that all of our progress has earned us the right to only give to the Lord what we have determined, it is not completing the mission. We are able, church, to solidify the standard of right sacrifice when we first start with becoming a living sacrifice. A sacrifice of substance. Free of self-glory, free of self-gain, and truly laying down our lives for the sake of our brothers and for the sake of all. The making, the marking, the mission of a priest, it is a cyclical process. It's never-ending. Once you complete the mission of one season, one task, it's time to go back to your king and seek out divine discernment about the next one. 
walking through the same process, but at a greater level, with greater risk, at a greater depth, and with greater rewards, demonstrating a deeper level of convictions that prove that you have a backbone like a telephone pole. Come on, let's go back to Deuteronomy 33 together, and we're going to read one more verse to you here from this passage. Deuteronomy 33 we're going to get back here to see what a mature man actually receives. We saw what Christ received. What a mature man in Christ receives, one who's been made into a priest. I'll read it, Pastor. Come one on. who's been marked as a priest. One who is completing the mission of a priest. Let's look at Deuteronomy 33, verse 11. Yeah. In the ESV. We're going to look at it in the ESV because it helps us out. Yeah. Bless, O Lord, his substance. His substance. And accept the work of his hands. Amen. Crush the loins of his adversaries. Of those who hate him. That they, um, that they rise not again. I love it when the words homiletics here are much stronger than the ones that we use. Crush the loins. Curb stomp your enemy's genitalia, Lord. Curb stomp it. That is the promise. That is the blessing that comes from men who have actually had their substance blessed by God. Mature men who are standing exactly as God has told them to stand. See, when a priest stays on mission, it is a certainty that his labor in the Lord is not in vain. That his sacrifices will in fact be blessed because his substance is being blessed. That God will accept the work of his hands. It is a guarantee that God will curb, stomp every adversary and cause them to never rise again. Amen. Church, this is what happens. This is what happens when we hurrah. When we actually have our lives manifest and we transmit the transformation of God. This is what happens when we put away the self-defined sacrifices and we stand only in the solidified standard of God's word as we give right sacrifices. This is what happens as we live as mature, manly priests who are fulfilling the mission of God himself. Come on, stand to your feet. Rise. Like men and women who have a backbone like a telephone pole. Well, the Spirit of God is helping us. Our Father is aiding us. Giving us words and worship that confirm the content of this message. Which means it's what we must put in place through action in our own lives. So let me give you some direction for where you can have confidence this morning. Here at this altar, you can put to death swaying compromise, the soft convictions of selfish ambition that uproot your ability to transmit God's truth. Today is your day to find a backbone. Today is your day to develop a spine that is firmly planted in the deep convictions of God's truth and be joyfully immovable from those truths. Why don't I put a big smile on your face? Joyfully immovable. Now is the time to come to this altar and remove your own self-determined sacrifice. No longer falling on the sword of your own self-righteousness or self-loathing. 
Today is the day that you can solidify the standard of your right sacrifice, where you can offer rightly what God has prescribed at his altar, what he requires of you. Nothing more and nothing less. Then you can stand up from this altar as a priest that is blessed in your substance, blessed in your skill, a priest that knows that God is pleased with the work of your hands, and he comes to your defense, crushing and curb-stomping your adversaries. Church, God has shaped us. He has formed us. He's invested decades into our lives, providing for us the ability to be the priest that he's called us to be. Come on, I know there are men and women in this room that you have deep convictions. But together, interconnected with each other, we're going to all develop a backbone like a telephone pole. So as I pray, let this altar be this point where you get these things right. We're going to stand up confidently. Lord, your word is truth. You sanctify us by that truth. We say here at this altar, let our hearts be purified before you. Oh, that we would have obstacles, contaminants removed from it so that we can rightly transmit your word and rightly sacrifice what you desire and rightly stand up confidently as your priest. Lord, I pray for the hearts of the men and women at this altar. Lord, let transformation occur. Cyclical areas of defeat no longer be. What has been existent for years, let it be crushed here at this altar. And let confidence rise in their hearts. Lord, let them know how to rightly sacrifice before you. Rightly understand and demonstrate your truth and your word. That their lips would carry the weight of your power for transformation. We say change us, mighty God. By the blood and by the truth from your throne.